What are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. <laughs> Boom, four days late, we're back to the party. Tyson Popplestone here. This is the Pop Culture Podcast, and I would like to formally apologize about the fact that we're four days late. Four days late is significantly late, but please let me explain what it is that's happened. Let me explain why it is that I've been so out of action. The Popplestone household has been ravaged this week, absolutely ravaged by a severe disease known as uh, coronavirus. We are lucky to both be here, both my wife, my little boy, and myself, it's uh, it's been a it's been a it's been a disgusting, disgusting week in the Popplestone household. And the reason for for us being four days late for the start of this show is because the only way I can record a podcast in this household with an eighteen month old son is when my wife and my little boy leave. If they're in this house, it's not happening. There's too much screaming, too much yelling, too much. Uh, I was going to say abuse. That's that's not true. We'd get arrested for making those kind of jokes. There's no abuse going on from parent to child, but plenty from child to parent. Our son doesn't understand yet that it's rude to punch your parents. It's rude to bite. It's rude to kick, and it's rude. It's actually also probably a sign it's time to get a little bit more strict with his uh, with the consequences to his actions. Because if you've got an 18-month-old who's uh, got no qualms biting you on the nipple in public, it's a, it's a sign that both you and your son have, you know, issues that need to be dealt with especially when you're when you're cheering you know what i mean when he's when he's really crunching down on your nipple you're like yeah good but i like the feel of it because you're trying to do reverse psychology your wife's just sitting there going you know what i wish i never married you i'm saying sweetie it hurts me hurts me a lot when you say that do you know what i mean i saw i saw the offers that you had coming in i saw the other men who were interested the only reason she was interested in me was because about four people now this is this isn't bragging this is just honest this is just truth about four people in our friendship group uh, all had a crush on me jesse was the only one who wasn't interested so a little bit of social pressure i think was the reason that her and i got married which as they say don't get married for social pressure because eventually that social pressure will dissipate and you'll be stuck with the man with which you are pressured into marrying it's a quote i heard a long a long long time ago and i can't quite remember who it was that told me that, but that was the truth. Hey, the social pressure got her. Three girls and a guy had a crush on me, all wanted to go out, and she said, oh, well, maybe I am interested, because truth was, I'd asked her out about 12 months earlier, and she said, look, you're not the kind of man I'm looking for. In fact, no part of you is what I want, like what I want in a man. You're not that funny. You're not that handsome. You're not a musician, and, uh, you know, the size of your nipples are questionable. They've only grown due to the swelling of my boy's strong teeth and weird fascination with uh with my nipples I, I knew i shouldn't have breastfed him that night in the first night he was born jesse said hey it'd be funny if you put him up to your chest and he uh and he tried to drink i said that would be funny so let me do it and he did it and ever since that point you know there's been a there's been a strange kind of um there's just been an element of tension in our in our relationship which which probably didn't need to be there had I'm not breastfed my own son. But that, hey, that's the world we're living in these days. You can't ask questions about that. You can't say anything like that. Apple have released a pregnant man emoji. So I'm uh, I'm sure it's only a couple of months until they release the, uh, the breastfeeding man emoji. And to that, I say, I beat you to it. I beat you to it. My nipples have got the scars to prove it. And so the, uh, the Popplestone household has been ravished with COVID, but they've, they've made a full recovery. Jesse's out of the house now. They've gone down to the toy library because no one in their right mind should be buying their kid a toy uh, based on the fact that an 18-month-old doesn't really know what it is they like. 
Yeah, my kid's gone through a phase where he likes climbing towers, he likes blocks, and he like what likes watching YouTube videos of helicopters. So, um, you know, to to go out and to assume you know your son well enough to buy him a toy that he's going to have until the age of seven is a ridiculous decision. So we go down to the toy library. We let his enthusiasm and his interest dictate what it is that we bring home for him. And uh, you know, last week, last week he bought home a a pretty little five year old girl. You know, <laughs> that's not even that's ridiculous. He didn't. We haven't been there for a, for a little while. But I um I got whacked with COVID. Oh my gosh, was I I was an embarrassment. I have to confess because I've I've been a pretty harsh judge of the COVID. Well, in fairness, I got whacked for one day. Day two, I was back working out because that's just the kind of guy I am. But let me just tell you about day one. Day one was the last time we recorded a podcast together. This was, it's Wednesday today. So this is going back to last Monday. So about, what's that, 10 days ago, I uh, I finished a run in the middle of the day. I got home from my run. It was about 31 degrees. The sun was shining. And uh, I actually, I, I went for 6.2K was the run. And it wasn't, uh, you know, I was averaging 450K pace. So for Popplestone speed, it wasn't, wasn't anything too crazy, but it was a, it was a nice run, but I finished and I thought, oh gee, it was it was one where I felt as though I, I worked harder than I actually did. I remember I got to the finish line and I was like, I really hope my clock says that was about 4.30 per K or 4.40 per K because if it wasn't, I'm in a pickle. And the, the truth was it was 4.53 and I thought, oh, that heat's got to me. That's as far as my mind went. I wasn't thinking COVID because it in the distance running scene or in the in the workout scene quite often you you'll have days like that where you'll finish a run and then for whatever reason you just, you feel as though you pushed it a little harder than you need to and that's what happened and then I came into this room and I said to you as a joke on the podcast last week that it was hot in here it's hot here today as well actually I need aircon or something but I came in and I said man if there was uh, any covid on my body before this podcast started by the time this hour's up this podcast is over that COVID will have dissipated. It would have melted away. It would have just sweated onto the floor of this little studio. And and that's what I genuinely thought was going to happen. But truth be told, I hit stop at the end of this podcast last week. And uh, I was in a world of hurt. I thought, all right. Because I was supposed to be going down to tell some funny jokes in Melbourne. So I thought, oh, am I going to go? I thought, oh, you know what? Like a couple of hours in the car on the way down, it'll probably do me good. I feel pretty relaxed. I feel pretty... Uh, you know, I'll be ready to get there. I'll be ready to get into it once I get there. And so I got there and the show started at 8.30. I got there about quarter to eight. I got there and uh, some of my some of my good comedy mates were there. So I went up and, and started having a little bit of a chat. And this is usually the favorite part of the comedy. Me and Eli went and uh, we went and got a, a coconut water at Coles. I walked back, smashed it a liter down. I thought, oh, that's going to help. Uh, started having a conversation it was quarter past the show started in 15 minutes i wasn't up until fifth and so i uh i said to the guys oh yeah i'm gonna have to go have a power nap i'm gonna go have to have a little rest in the car i went back to the car feeling a bit achy was not feeling like going to tell any funny jokes and uh so i shut my eyes for 15 minutes not feeling great went back to funny near the bunny funny near the brunny is what it's called and uh sat at the back of the room i was up fifth and I couldn't remember what it was I was trying to say. I had my jokes written down, and for whatever reason, my brain just didn't want to register what jokes they were. So I got up on stage, and it was like a... It was a bomb, that's for sure. But it was a bomb... It was a bomb with a couple of laughs sprinkled in, but it was just a... It was a painful experience. 
the run I did last week and the set that I did last week was was probably about the equivalent. I mean, we got through it, but it could have been better. It definitely didn't help at the end, like where I was trying to walk back to the car. And um, actually, I was walking off stage, and one of my mate goes, "Oh, that was a rough one, Tice." I said, "Hey, you know what? I thought it could have been the COVID that, uh, or I thought it could have been the, um, you know, the fact I was feeling sick that that made me think I didn't do as well." But the truth was, it was a it was a rubbish performance. Is is what Billy Styles told me. It's the second time I've bombed in front of Billy Styles as well, and he's a he's a respected comedian here in Melbourne. You want to be a you want to be a good comedian, you got to get Billy Styles on side. He's on side, as in he's my friend. But that's the second time I've I reckon it was my my second biggest bomb, and he's he's witnessed both of them. The first one he came to me and he goes, "Oh, dude, that's gonna hurt in the morning." The second one he didn't quite say that, but he may as well have. So I um I got home, and then as soon as I was in the car on the way home, I could just I was achy. I was painting. I had a little scratch in the back of my throat. I googled COVID symptoms just to double check, and uh, and I thought, all right, let's just let's see how this plays out. Then Tuesday, got up, did my rat test. The two lines came up quicker than they should have. It was a it was a real strong positive. And uh, anyway, I I could not move. I had fevers. I had the shakes. The bed was covered in sweat. And I haven't been vaccinated because I've been one of those guys that. The whole way through, I've thought, oh well, I've got an exemption, no need to get vaccinated. I'm just a, I'm just a tough 34 year old dude, with with fitness on fitness, green smoothies to boot, and I don't even know what that means, green smoothies to boot. I'm not sure that sentence even fits just there. But I thought I'm gonna, I won't even know that I have COVID. I just assumed I'd already had it. Anyway, laying in bed last Tuesday, I thought, oh no. A hundred percent, I'm going to be that guy who dies of this thing. And then all my mates are going to piss themselves laughing. And not just my mates, but the people who know that I haven't been vaccinated. The people who are who are going to give me a hard time about not getting vaccinated. Especially the people who have been telling me for ages that I should have been vac- vaccinated. And uh, because I, I knew I was in a sticky situation. Because truth was, I, um, I tried to message a couple of mates to go, all right, guys, look... Uh, Really tough situation. Really, um, really something I need to, uh, you know, just open up with you about. I've, I've, I've been smacked with COVID, you know. So if you could keep me in your prayers. All my mates just wrote back like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> Suck on that. Huh? Enjoy the afterlife. Um, a couple of my mates called me bitches. I'm not. I'm not. They, uh, you know, it's probably says more about my friendship group than it says about me. I think. But, but that was the kind of treatment that I, I received, and then. And then uh, I think I told you about the naturopath mate that I met on a beach a couple of weeks ago. He goes, dude, if you get COVID, um, let me know because I got all the stuff that you need. So he hooked me up. Uh, he had ivermectin, which I know is still a little bit suspect. I'm not sure if everyone's. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any consensus consensus as to whether that's any good for you yet. Had quercetin. Quercetin was. Uh, I think quercetin is like a. It's like a zinc product, which is maybe combined with a couple of other ingredients and it's supposed to just like rejuvenate the cells that COVID attaches to. So I had this quercetin with, I think it was with vitamin C. And then I had this really pungent, this really pungent vitamin C. It was like a straight vitamin C stuff. Um, and then a vitamin D. So I was taking, I was taking this concoction and then Tuesday or the day after Wednesday, mate, I was back. I was a hundred percent back. I got so arrogant. I was working out day five um, my rule was everyone's allowed to post on social media about how much they struggled and how important it is to get vaccinated. I thought, all right, I, I'm allowed to just share the other side of the story. I'm allowed to say how easy it was 
because that that should be fair. Like you shouldn't just be able to brag about how hard you're doing it. You should be able to brag about how easy you're doing it. So I posted a video of me doing dips over at the local park on day five. A lot of people saying I should have still been isolating, but I live in Queenscliff, which is, you know, it's the most highly vaccinated place in Australia, but also, uh, you know, the density of people around this area, there's not many. So you go down to a park, there's never anyone there. So for all you haters who are saying I should have been isolating, I was. I was isolating at the park doing dips. Um, triceps looked fantastic. The arrogance, as soon as the arrogance started to creep back in, as soon as the confidence in my uh, ability to do dips started to sneak back in, I thought, all right, I'm back. I'm back. And so Jessie got it. She tested positive. I think she just got the positive result back a couple of days ago. I can't remember exactly the details. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is we're back in the Popplestone household. My 18-month-old boy's got it. He's still strutting around the house like a little legend. So uh, so don't mess don't mess with the Popplestones. The naturopath has healed me. Um, I thought I'd made a real big... Uh, you know those kind of people where you... You meet them in a particular situation. I met these guys at the beach last week and thought we immediately hit it off. And then I saw the wife of the guy that I met last week yesterday and I said, hey, Lucy, great to see you. She's like, dude, I completely forgot your name. I said, well, this is humbling. Humbling experience. You uh, you registered a place in both my mind and my heart and here I am, you can't even remember my name. I thought I was looking good that day as well, which is, um, I don't know. It's just the way, it's just the way things are. I... I don't know. I've grown this mustache and, and a little bit of a goatee, which this light is bringing out to, you know, just to hopefully try and show you that, uh, hey, this is what a man looks like. I thought she would have recognized that. But there's certain situations in your week, I think, where um, where you realize you probably still got some work to do on the on the manliness front. So so as I've told you before, our house is is here, and then we have a road next to our house, and then we have bushland, and then we have beach. Um, and then yesterday I had a knock at our front door, uh, a little old lady, she would have been, she would have been, she wasn't little or that old really. I can't say that cause, cause she's probably my mum's age and my mum wouldn't be happy with that description. She came and knocked on my door and she said, Hey, sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to know if you have a shovel. Um, I said, Oh, why is that? She's like, Oh, a snake's just been run over on the road out the front. I just wanted to go, um, kill the snake, chop its head off unless you just want to do it. And I said, look, I really appreciate you coming to the door. But first of all, I don't have a shovel. You know, what am I? This is a rental. I shouldn't be digging holes in this property. She goes, you don't look like the kind of guy who would own a shovel. I said, well, that's it's very hurtful and very honest all at once. So I'm not sure how I feel about you telling me that information. She goes, no, you just, um, you know, you look like you, you look like you probably enjoy a cocktail more than a, a, a hole digging sort of setup. I said, okay, you know what? Like, don't come knocking on my door and, and telling me about how much of a man I don't look like. I said, look, I don't, I don't have a shovel. Um, she goes, have you got a big stick or something? I said, oh, have I ever? No, <laughs> I didn't say that at all because um, that would have been sexual assault. But we do have like a massive pile of sticks in our backyard. So I went and got like this log and uh, I gave it to her. And I was like, I can't let this bloody 70-year-old lady go out and, and have to whack a snake across the head because it was, a, I think it's called a copperhead, a copperhead python. She goes, yeah, mate, I grew up on a farm and I can tell you these ones, they pack a punch. And if there's any life in this little bugger, even 24 hours later, uh, you walk past it, that bite can still sting. And I said, well, uh, honestly, I, would, I, I guess it's important that we take care of it then. So she goes, all right, well, if you don't want to do it, I'll go do it. I said, no, well, look, pass me the stick. What I, I've got a car in my driveway. Now, this snake was stuck in the middle of the road. Poor bugger. It, like, the back half of its body was stuck on the road. The front half of its body was like, I'm going to the backyard. I don't care how I get there. He didn't quite realize that he's, it was his kidneys or whatever that had kept him stuck to the road. And, you know, credit to him, the discipline that I saw in his eyes to... To keep fighting, he had that fighting spirit. He was—he knew he was a copperhead. 
he knew he had places to be. He, um, <laughs> but it was just hard to, uh, you couldn't explain to him firstly because he was a snake, but secondly, uh, because it was an animal, I guess, you can't really explain with any sense to an animal that you're not going to be able to get where you're going because uh, your intestines have got you stuck to a road and you've been run over by a car. So this tough little bugger, I, I went and got my car keys, got my Nissan Pulsar 2015 and, uh, and lined him up, got the, the, the front right wheel, over his head, round one, the front right wheel over his body, round two. I looked across. He's still swinging. He didn't care. He, um, I saw a cat years ago that had just been hit by a car. And uh, anyway, it was. I looked in the rear view mirror, and I was like, oh, no. Because as I as I looked in the rear view mirror, I saw this cat. It, like, it was trying to lift its head. It was doing the same thing that this snake was doing. It was going, look, I'm not, I'm not done with life just yet. I had, I had whiskeys. Or whiskers or whatever that cat food is in a bowl at home ready for me to consume and uh anyway i looked in the rear view mirror the cat was lifting its head as if to say i'm coming i'm coming home don't give up on me but the poor bugger he was he was going nowhere so i had to do a u-turn and uh and i ran over the cat as well so me and cars i'm a vegetarian guy but uh, me and cars and animals we've i don't know we've got an interesting reputation this cat i'm sure it had been run over i often do think that to be to be quite truthful i think crap what if it was just asleep and I looked back and it had just woken up and then see I'd made up this storyline in my mind about what had happened to the cat in my storyline yeah in my brain it had been run over it was in agony and it had to be put out of its misery truth is it might have fallen to sleep not sure why it was on the road if it had had just woken up I'd seen it wake up in the rear view mirror turned around ran over an innocent cat that could have been what happened. I'm not sure. I'm not that much of a cat fan, to be honest. So I don't really care. But um, but snakes, even more so. You know you're nervous about an animal like a snake. Because yesterday, I was nervous to go and drive my car over. I was thinking, oh, no. What if he jumps up and tucks behind a wheel? And, uh, you know, I open the door in the morning. He bites me on the knob. And <laughs> it's just embarrassing. So I, uh, I, I ran over him, heard it pop. Saw the farm lady give me like a little, she gave me like a, a, a fist pump, which I thought, you know, we just we just killed an innocent animal that had been through a tragic end to its life. So I thought it was probably a little bit harsh for her to, to give me a fist pump. But uh, we took it out of its misery and uh, I went and showed my boy the, the results. Took him outside, both him and I, we were both just wearing shorts, no shoes. I walked over, he was gone, the, uh, the little copperhead. My boy's giving me a high five. He didn't, kids don't care. Kids don't fully appreciate the pain that an animal's just gone through. I was, uh, you know, I was thinking about his kids. I was thinking about where he was off to. The lady said to me, who who pulled over to ask if we had a shovel, that she was he was probably on his way into my backyard anyway and would have attacked my kid. My kid was just playing with his little outdoor ball set, and uh, and, and and so that's that's how I uh, let my mind rest. But hey, rest in peace, little python snake. He's uh, he's looking worse for wear today as well. He's just you know when a snake gets run over so much, it just looks like carpet. It looks like a little strip of carpet out in our, our front road as well. So, um, I don't know. It's uh, mean mean wildlife. Uh, we have an interesting relationship because I wouldn't. I, there's no place in my life where I'm happy to see a snake, especially like that. I don't want to be responsible for for making sure the snake snakes out of its misery. I don't want to be responsible for making sure it doesn't attack anyone. I just want to. The rule is I want that snake to stay where it is and not come anywhere near you know 2022 Popplestone family household because. Um, 
you know, someone's going to get hurt and someone's going to get embarrassed. And, and truthfully, both of those people are probably going to be me. I had a, to show you an example of, of my exposure to the world of wildlife. So my brother-in-law, Sammy, he came over to Australia from America about four years ago. He's a hunter. And when he came over, he had this, I don't know what it's called, but essentially it's this little device and you can set it to sound like a struggling animal. So from a distance, it's sort of like, So it's sort of, I don't know what that animal was, but but say that was a struggling bird. Apparently when you're eating, out in the wildlife, you put that in a certain place, that'll draw out like a coyote because they want to come and attack it. And then when the coyote comes out, you shoot the coyote and they're breakfast, lunch and dinner for your whole family for a couple of weeks. So he came to our place. We're living in, in uh, you know, suburban Melbourne. So there was no animal that when struggles make that noise. And about 10.30 one night uh, from, from our front yard, I heard that sound that... And I thought, I'll just, just ignore it because I just, you know, if I ignore it, maybe it'll stop. And I, I didn't want to see any injured animal to start with. So I think I don't even want to be a part of this bloody situation. But he came up and knocked on my door and he's like, dude, what is that? Like, that's terrifying. Um, you know, what what do I do? I said, mate, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm standing here in a matching pajama outfit. I've got matching blue pants with a matching, you know, what is it in pajama land? It's is it a blazer? You know, there was too much sequence going on for the fact that I was going to bed anyway. But but what I was wearing, it screamed that there hadn't been a whole heap of exposure to the wilderness over the last few years. And he came up, and and I, in hindsight, I could tell he was taking the piss. But he was asking me, he's like, dude, can you go look under the car, look in the tree? So we were we were out the front. And this thing's so loud. Ten thirty at night, the neighbours are out. We're all freaking out. And then. Uh, and then after about 20 minutes, he must have got bored and he's like, ah, suck on that, everyone in Hampton Park. That's where we were living at the time. Suck on that, you guys are idiots. <laughs> I can't believe you all fell for it. Look, it's this. It's a, it's this stupid device that uh, that brings suckers like you out of the wilderness. And, you know, everyone, everyone on the street was like, dude, it's a Tuesday night, mate. Like, we're just trying to go to bed. I was there almost in tears, trying to hold back tears because I was just so embarrassed about the fact that I'd made such a bitch of myself. I ran inside to make myself a cup of tea just to calm down because I was outside. I was out of my natural state. There's certain things when you're outside your natural state, it makes you, you know, it makes you aware of of you know how much how much of a bitch you know you, you could be perceived as being. And and that was one of those situations I was perceived as being a bitch, like when I start start sort of crying when the uh, when the turbulence on a plane kicks in too hard too quick I don't mind a little bit of turbulence but if I'm in the middle of a conversation the plane starts shaking yeah tears are gonna tears are gonna come they're gonna flow and the uh, the person that I'm trying to hold a conversation with is gonna know that you know there's elements of, of my ability to withhold emotion from public view when I'm on a flight that uh, that needs to be addressed and that's just uh, that's just where we're at that's where I'm at as a man so Carl Jung help me out Jordan Peterson help me out. Not 100% sure what to make of that. I don't know. Are you even allowed to talk about Jordan Peterson anymore? I saw the other day uh, Ethan Klein. He used to, there's a bloke, have you heard of Ethan Klein? He's got a podcast called H3H3. He used to be a gun. He used to be awesome. I really liked it. He had two two awesome interviews with Jordan Peterson. And then for whatever reason, I'm not sure what happened. He turned into a full-blown lefty is, is the only way I can perceive it. The only way I can sort of understand what's happened. And He's just uh, become opposed to everything that Jordan Peterson stands for. And as a result, he deleted the two Jordan Peterson podcasts off his page and uh, and then uh, went on to get in a Twitter fight with, with Jordan Peterson, which was, 
I don't know. It's it's weird like that. It's weird when you see a person who used to make sense and good content turn into like a a bitter, angry person who I don't know. It just doesn't seem to make sense anymore. I don't know though. But anyway, I, I I'm going to keep listening to Jordan Peterson. But I'm sure he would have something to say about the fact that uh, you know my my ability to navigate a world of wild animals is uh, is probably something that needs needs work. I think. My, I, I had a stingray swim past my uh, my feet the other day when I was over in the water. Then I handled that pretty well. My mum was a little bit jumpy. I got stung by a uh, a blue. I think I told you guys this before. I got stung by a blue bottle jellyfish when I was fifteen. I sprinted up the beach screaming to the surf lifesavers because I thought it was a box jellyfish. And in Australia, a blue bottle jellyfish gives you a little sting. A box jellyfish, which is I think it's I think it's also has blue in it. It can kill you. So I'd I'd mistaken the two and uh, I thought I was I thought I was seeing the light. I was I've never been so embarrassed to get to the uh, the lifesavers and then forget, dude. What are you like? What what are you so upset about? It doesn't sting that much. I was like, I go, no, but I'm just not ready yet. You know what I mean? I'm 15 years old. And I've been stuck. I can't breathe. They go, dude. It's a blue bottle. It's not a box jellyfish. Your father's like, well, tell me about blue bottles then. They said, well, what what do you want to know, mate? Like the pain will stop in about thirty seconds. I was like, "Yeah, but then what happened? Does it stop because my whole body's numb? Does it stop because I? It's the last moments of my life. They go, mate. No, it stops because it's not. It's not that painful. You're not in trouble. We had a twelve-year-old up here just a couple of minutes ago who, he got stung by a blue bottle. He's fine. He's that kid laughing at you with his dad over there. So he's laughing. What's he? Well, he finds death funny. They got tires. Breathe. You're not going to die, mate. Not from this. Not today. I said, well, why am I so short of breath? They said, you're having a panic attack. Said, well, give me CPR. They said, you know, I'm not giving you CPR, mate. You just need to, you just need to breathe. I said, I don't even know my name anymore. They said, it's Tyson. I said, I know, but I just don't feel like, are you sure I'm fine? I said, you're fine, mate. I said, okay, well, now I'm embarrassed. And then you have to walk back down to the beach. Everyone looking at you because you're at a packed, you're at a public place. Everyone's looking at you like you're an embarrassment because you are. Twelve-year-old girls laughing at you, your crush laughing at you, me still sobbing a little bit, going. <laughs> oh, it's weird when you reflect on the embarrassing moments in your life like that. I remember once I um. I was in high school and I'd just gone to a girl's house who I liked and she was flirting with me and I didn't know. I couldn't read the signs and, you know, I uh, physiologically, like every part of my body was ready for action. And, and fellas, you, you, you understand, don't you, that, that when you're, you, you know, you're withholding what your body wants to do from your body's ability to do it, things get stored up somewhere. And as a result, I, I got a classic case of blue balls. I didn't know what blue balls were, but I was staying at a friend's house that night. I went back to him. I said, dude, my, my balls feel very, very sore and very heavy. He's like, oh, dude, that's. That's weird. He goes, I wish you didn't tell me that. I go, well, honestly, I didn't, I didn't perceive your reaction to be as, as harsh as, as what it just was. And so now I wish I didn't tell you. I said, dude, I'm not 100% sure. I was 16 years old or something. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I was in a whole heap of pain. I thought I just all of a sudden just spontaneously got testicular cancer. Testicular cancer. He goes, I'll take you to the hospital if you want, but that would be embarrassing. So so me and him, we got to the hospital. I'm not joking. We got to the waiting room, and we saw this nurse who was an absolute babe. Like we were 15, 16. She must have been, I don't know, 24 or whatever. So 
uh, we were laughing, going, oh, my gosh, imagine if she was the nurse and uh, that had to check you out. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, lucky that won't be the case. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not kidding. 15 minutes later, this beautiful, gorgeous glamour of a nurse came up and uh, she came up to me and said, oh, hey, come on through. Like, what's the problem? I said, oh, I've got sore testicles. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I got sore testicles. And she thought I was joking because she saw me and my mate laughing. She's like, look, um, I've only got an hour or so left of my shift. I, I, I kind of don't have time for this. I said, look, ma'am, I'm, I'm not joking. I've got very sore testicles. She goes, are you? Okay. And then it got, it got more awkward because I thought, well, if the professional's looking at me like I'm some kind of freak, what am I supposed to do? And so she goes, all right, take your pants off. I said, I started to get nervous like on a first date. I said, I haven't even bought you a drink yet. <laughs> you, know, just, you say that kind of stuff just to make light of the city. She goes, look, just take, just take your pants off, mate. I said, I've never taken my pants off in front of a woman before. This is, um, she goes, look, this isn't a sexual thing. I'm a nurse. You're a 15-year-old boy with sore testicles. I'm here to check. And so, and so my mate's in there. This nurse has my testicles in her right hand. She's asking me to cough. I'm laughing. Um, and she's, she's making eye contact with me and all this kind of stuff. I go, well, do, if, honestly, if you, if you want me to be sensitive, you, you can't have my balls in your hand making eye contact, asking me to cough. It's just an embarrassing situation. I've, I don't know how to handle it. I'm a late starter in the, in the, sexual, in the sex game. And uh, so the fact that my balls are in your hand, I don't know how to read this situation. You, you need to get a 55-year-old male to come and do this activity with me if we're going to take it seriously. She said, look, you've essentially, um, you know, there's a little twist in your nuts. Uh, she did this little wiggle thing, which was, you know, in, in all intents and purposes. I said that twice today. I still don't know what it means. Um, you know, it was enjoyable. It was a little twist with the right hand. And, uh, you know, for that was my favorite doctor visit is, is what I would say. It was also the most embarrassing one because... Uh, because Sam, my mate, we got back to school and, and he told everyone that I went to the doctor with blue balls, which, you know, as a, as a 16-year-old kid, you don't want people to find out. I told everyone at school, I just picked up a hot nurse and they said, oh, that's, you know, the story that we heard was that you went to a nurse because you went to a girl's house. You didn't get what you wanted to get done. done. As a result, there was a whole heap of tension. You mistook it as testicular cancer. I said, well, who's telling you guys this story? Because it's bloody accurate. It's exactly what went through my mind. And now... It's embarrassing. So I, um, yeah, for about two weeks of school, people were, uh, people were coming up and, and just blatantly asking how my testicles were, which as a as a way to get to know any person, is it? I mean, that's a strange conversation to have because you, you skip about eight bases between hello and, and getting to that point. You know, still in my whole life, I don't think I've ever been up to a person and said, hey, mate, how's your testicles? I think I have actually a couple times, but but only like my really close friends, and only because I was trying to embarrass them about something. But anyway, that was the first and last time that happened. I went to a stomach. I got to stop. I got to stop using this line. I went to a uh, a doctor a few years ago because I had this stomach ulcer, and uh, I had a couple of beers one night, which is rare for me. But I had a couple of beers because I was at a Bucks, and it triggered some sort of strange stress response in my in my gut and I went to the hospital and they just kept loading me up on morphine which was super enjoyable but one of the uh, one of the original tests that they had to do was put a finger in my asshole and uh and like, I don't know what it is about touching your your body parts and asking you to cough but I'm sure I'm sure this nurse came up to me had her finger in my ass and uh and asked me to cough and uh just as she was lubing up her finger about to put it in I said I can't believe we even haven't even, haven't even gone out for coffee like this is <laughs> Yes, you know, I've been married 10 years. I still panic when she does stuff like that. 
Which is mainly because she doesn't put gloves on. I go, that's unhygienic. You can't be doing that, sweetie, especially when I'm just trying to wash the dishes for you. She goes, oh, come on, don't be such a bitch. Live on the edge. I said, sweetie, it's not a bitch. I'm just, you haven't cut your nails for a while. You know, our, our, our mirror's looking directly into the lounge room of our neighbours. Like, you can, they can see what you're doing. She goes, oh, come on, let them live a little. Anyway, that says more about my wife than, than what it does about me. And the truth is, I've told you, whether that's true or not, she doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can get away with that. I, um, I, can't, I can't figure out whether it looks too stripper vibey with this pink light in the background. I kind of like it. I think it looks pretty good. But it also, it definitely screams, I don't know, it, it definitely screams a little bit of a stripper vibe. I was, in, I was having a podcast. I was doing a conversation with, uh, with someone on the podcast here the other day, Joseph Green, coming out tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and the whole way through, I thought, is this inappropriate lighting? It's, it's kind of mood lighting a little bit. I feel as though it might be a little bit inappropriate. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too far into it. I think it looks good though. This is the best setup we've had. Anyway, anyway, what did I what did I have written down here that I wanted to talk to you about? Oh, we've got to talk about Joe Rogan. Oh, Joe, they're out to get him, aren't they? Bloody Spotify got himself in a pickle. It's it's hard to know how this one's going to work out well for Spotify because regardless of which way you go, like if you, how does it happen? Neil Young, I don't think it's a big deal that he left. Joni Mitchell, I don't think anyone realised she still is alive. They've both gone to Apple Music. I, I don't know how much attention they're bringing to the table of these other platforms, but, um, I mean, like, surely that's not going to leave much of a uh, much of a dent. It's the, it's the subscribers of Spotify who are going to pull out, isn't it? So I feel like they're, uh, they're doomed if they do. They're doomed if they don't, to steal a phrase from my great-grandfather, Poppy Reg. Doomed if they do, doomed if they don't, because... Um, I mean, Joe Rogan, he's... Surely, surely you're going to struggle most if you get rid of Joe. Like, if you ask Joe to lo- to leave, then you're going to lose the likes of me because I'm there for Joe. Joe's the guy who who got me over there. And then it's been nice to see a couple of couple of big Hollywood stars coming out and, and have his back. I was laughing the other day because The Rock came out, and I think The Rock's Joe Rogan's hero. So The Rock came out and uh, essentially said, Joe, I got your back. And then someone said to the Sir Rock, hey, he said the N-word 70 different times. Are you sure this is appropriate to be supporting him? And the Rock's like, oh, bugger, I didn't know. I didn't know that he said the N-word, though. So the cancel culture is a hard one to navigate because if you come out just to support Joe about the man that he is, about how you know successful he is, about how much of a platform he's given so many people, yeah, you know, that's all good. And then someone says, yeah, but he said the N-word 70 times. You go, oh, okay, well, how do I... How do I clarify that I was uh, I was I was only standing up for him about the the stuff about him that I like and not the stuff about him that I didn't like? But but then uh, but then the Rock came out and said, okay, well you know we've all got stuff to learn here a little bit, so I'm not 100 percent sure what's going on. Anyway, poor Joe, poor bastard must be stressed this week, wouldn't he? Like I reckon it'd be a little bit of a stressful situation because I've been listening to Joe now for seven years, never once heard him say the N word, and no one cares about context. Look, I'm pretty sure. I've done no research into what I'm about to say, so I could be completely wrong. I'm pretty sure, not that it's an excuse, not that it makes it right. It does, however, change the conversation. If Joe was out there casually just using the N-word when he was referring to a person, like surely that's a problem. But the N-word when you're just referring to what someone said, that's a different thing because you're not, 
Like, how do you have a conversation? Do you just keep saying the N-word? Because we all, when I say N-word, we know exactly what word it is that I'm referring to when I say that. And and I'm allowed to say that. You're allowed to say that because it's respectful. But it's only a, it's only a matter of time until saying N-word is, is no longer respectful, isn't it? I remember why my wife, she's a uh, she's a history teacher at school. And uh, I remember, what was it? Yeah, like there was, a, there was a stage when I was a kid, and if you said the word abo, like to refer to an Aboriginal, it was completely accepted. Like no one had a real problem with it. But then to uh, a, 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 they took it a step further. It started to become Aboriginal. If you said Aboriginal, even that's disrespectful. Now you have to say Indigenous people, which is, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm happy to say whatever is you know, whatever's respectful, but there seems to be no general consensus on on what it is that the Indigenous people want to be called. And, and, and so my wife was talking about how she was teaching Aboriginal history because that was the name of the course when she was teaching it. And uh, she was about to leave the school. She was given a bit of an overview on the course to the new teacher who came in. And uh, apparently even saying Aboriginal history was, was unacceptable. This teacher was like, oh, look, I'm just going to stop you there. Unfortunately, we, we don't actually call it Aboriginal history anymore because that's highly offensive. It's Indigenous history. So I don't know. What I'm trying to say is I think uh, that the expectations of, of what is okay and what isn't okay, it constantly changes. So, look, I know the N-word's been out for a while, but what I'm trying to say is it doesn't stop at N-word. Like, surely there's going to be a time in my future where where you're going to look back at this particular podcast and, and hear that I was saying simply N-word and have a go at me about that based on current standards. But here in 2022, I don't know what the current standards of wherever you are are, so surely I can't be held accountable to those same standards. Can I? I don't know. Anyway, so I saw um, Rumble, like a Canadian conservative platform came out and they said, look, I think it's like a YouTube for, for conservative content creators came out and said, Joe, we'll give you a hundred million if you come over to our platform. <laughs> we'll give you a we'll give you a hundred million. Let me just read you this article. I'll see if I can find it. Rumble Joe Rogan. Let me just read this to you. Cause Joe's is getting Joe's getting hundred million dollar offers everywhere just to go and uh to join other platforms. I've never been offered a hundred million dollars even once to go anywhere. I'm just waiting for this article to load. Time article. Oh, here we go. I'll see if this one loads a little bit quick. Oh, here we go. Time. Teal? I'm not sure if that's a... Teal back video platform Rumble offers Joe Rogan $100 million to switch from Spotify. Business, streaming... Sorry, bear with me here. All right. As a controversy surrounding Joe Rogan's Spotify relationship with... Oh, sorry. As a controversy surrounding Spotify's relationship with podcast host Joe Rogan continues, Rumble has offered $100 million to bring the show, The Joe Rogan Experience, over to the free speech-centric video platform. Rumble CEO uh, Chris Pavlovsky wrote an open letter posted on Twitter on Monday that's... uh, that he stands with Rogan, who has recently come under fire for spreading COVID-19 vaccine misinformation using racial slurs on the massively popular podcast. Look, here's the thing. Um, the COVID-19 misinformation thing's an interesting one, isn't it? Because all he's doing is interviewing people. Like, sure, he's been he's been a little more vocal about the fact that he's not vaccinated, which is, I mean, it's fine, isn't it? Like, surely we're... we're Anyway, we've been over that before. But the racial slurs is the new thing. But interesting, where's it going to stop? Because soon someone's going to come out and be like, Joe Rogan called me a tranny. He called me a tranny on episode 58 and he thought it was funny. And then Dave Chappelle came in on episode 1407 and 
he had a tranny joke as well, and uh, I'm using their word. I would never say tranny. That was just the word that, that they would be using if they were referring to it. Anyway, we stand with you, your guests, and legion of fans in desire for real conversation, Pav- Pavlovsky wrote. Uh, so we'd love to offer you 100 million reasons to make the world a better place. How about you bring all your shows to rumble, both old, new, with no censorship? 100 million bucks over four years. It's our chance to save the world. And yes, this is totally legit. How does a company that I didn't even know the name of two weeks ago have $100 million to throw at a bloke like Joe Rogan? That's incredible, isn't it? Like, $100 million is a lot of cash. And the idea that a, a company that I've never even heard of has 100 mil just to throw out. Like, who's making this kind of... It's ridiculous. It's like, I've got a, I got a good friend of mine, uh, Jock, I'm best friend. Actually, and he comes from a family where, uh, you know, they've just got money left, right, and center. I heard a couple of numbers around his family business the other night. I thought, hang on a second. Like, like we're talking millions and millions of dollars, and he's, his dad's just like a, a, a pretty casual dude. I always thought people with millions and millions of dollars were rocking around in Bugattis, but it turns out it's quite the opposite. I think most of your rich kind of people are, uh, well, the vibe I get, from what I can tell, from Graham O'Connor, the bloke I'm talking about, Calcimo Lime, I mean, he's, he does have a Bentley. <laughs> he does have a Bentley. That probably gave it away. He's got a Bentley. Maybe that. Maybe they are rocking around. Does that blow your mind? Like, what is Rumble? I've never. I've honestly never even had that in my search browser before. I've never typed in Rumble to my Google before. And they got a hundred spare million dollars to give to to Rogan. I'm not sure, because I, I don't know how long the Spotify deal was supposed to take place, but surely a bloke like Rogan gets upset with that, because if you're, if you're getting censored and you're getting, you know, critiqued and you're starting to feel as though you're going to get cancelled, well, sure, you got to go to Rumble. I'm going to contact Rumble, see if they're interested in pop culture podcasts, because I, I tell you what, I tell you what, we can't have this, we can't have the bitches running the world, is what I've always said. You could tell by how much I hesitated when I said bitches, that I, it's not something I always say, I've actually... I say that very rarely. But bitches has been on my my mind a little bit this week. Have you seen um it's an awkward week to be Justin Trudeau? He's been getting called a bitch a little bit. You seen he's been getting called a bitch a little bit because uh because the truckers are the truckers are in Canada still doing their thing. They're going, hey, we're not moving. He goes, but you have to move. And they're like, yeah, but we're not going to. He goes, please, <laughs> he please move because there's so many trucks. What am I going to do? Like, what What am I supposed to do with all the trucks? How's how's food and stuff going to go? I just want the vaccine mandate to stay, is what I want. I want the vaccine mandate to stay, but I also want all the truckers to go home. Because if you just do what I would like you to do, it'd just be easier for everyone, but mainly for me. And then, just conveniently enough, old mate gets COVID or he's exposed to COVID and he can't be seen in public for a week and a half. And I don't know. It's a tough week to be a candidate. It's a tough week to be a bloody... Uh, what do you call it? A politician. It's been a tough 18 months to be a politician. I've got no sympathy for him anymore, though. I'm just, I'm a little bit over the whole politician scene. And I've also noticed there's a, there's been a, there's been a, what do you say? There's been a little bit of a sway in my music taste lately. Like the last 18 months, I reckon I've, I've been a little more frustrated than I have usually. And, and little weird music taste. Like, like this week I found myself listening to a song uh, by... Not, not a song. It smells like Teen Spirit, the whole album by Kurt Cobain. It's like a dark album from 91, 92. It wasn't even that dark, really. It's just more grungy. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Like, when I start listening to music like this, that's a pretty that's a pretty clear sign that I must be frustrated, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe I just got some real punk. 
kind of music taste that I hadn't known about for a little while. But Kirkamay's an interesting story. There's, there's, have you noticed there's conspiracies attached to absolutely everything that anyone ever talks about? Like you talk about COVID, they go, yeah, you know, you know what was created by Bill Gates in actually 2015, so you can inject us with this secret uh, messaging chip that connects us with Jupiter. And, uh, you know, on Jupiter, you can tell what my heartbeat is, and that's what Bill Gates wants. And you go, okay, well, maybe there's, like, is it, it could be a little bit of truth to what you just said. I don't, I don't know 100%. I'm not 100% sure whether what you're going on about is true or not, but there's enough in there to make it, Make it sound true. And then people say Elvis is still alive, which I, I start getting excited about because I go, well, I never, I always say I never had a chance to meet Elvis. But then the truth is, if he's if he's still rocking and rolling, I go, yeah, no, no, what actually happened? So he was so famous that he pretended to die of a heart attack. But what he actually did, he went and moved to South America just to a cabin. He moved to a cabin. And the cabin had two bedrooms, no Wi-Fi. Because it's the 70s, even though the CIA, they knew about Wi-Fi back in the 70s. And he wanted to go and work on country music. And in fact, Keith Richards today was Elvis Presley 30 years ago. You go, wait, what? Are you sure? They go, bro, just wait. And it's always, conspiracies are funny as well because it's always, you're always on the precipice of finding out what the truth is. But you never quite get there. You never quite get there. They always say, oh no, look, there's been a... There's been a change. You don't have to believe what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the original story I told you is not as accurate. I said, well, look, for the last two years, you've been telling me now that Donald Trump is a leader of the army, the military. He's actually still in control. And you've been telling me to look out for these little signs along the way. And the little signs along the way that you tell me to look out for have never come. And you say, no, no, there's been a delay with the paperwork. Now, like the paperwork hasn't quite got through. It's just, if you're going to have a conspiracy theory, I feel like it's good, but you just have to have a little bit more that you can bring to the table. You have to have a little bit more to bring to the table to show me that what you've been telling me is still on the right track. Because otherwise, it's just it's too hard to believe you. You have to be able to bring a little bit to the table. Mind you, I don't know, because a few months ago, I was laughing at, at this whole idea of chemtrails. People talking about how you know, you can manipulate weather, you can manipulate rain, you can manipulate all this stuff. And then, uh, like, I did two Google searches and found some documents that made it. So I think, actually, the Australian website or the Australian government website might even have some pretty open information about how they can actually seed the clouds to produce rain. And I thought, wait, this, you're speaking about this so casually, like we all knew about it. This is this is news to me. I don't know. Is there anything that's big that doesn't have a conspiracy attached to it? Michael Jackson has conspiracies attached to us. Twin Towers, Marilyn Monroe, the JFK stuff, uh, the moonwalking. Did I just say that? I'm not 100% sure. Like there's, I don't know. It's just, even if they're true, you just don't have the time in your day. You don't have the time in your week to be able to commit to all these conspiracy theories. You only have, I'm trying to learn how to day trade effectively. That's what I want to know. I want to know, how do I day trade effectively? And people say, dude, don't bother because the stock market's about to crash. Don't you know anything about fiat system? I go, what? <laughs> Just stop. I don't, I, I do, like, I know they used to measure the, the value of money off, like, real gold. Now, they don't, yeah, they go, yeah, bro, don't invest in the stock market because it's going to crash. You're going to lose all your money, JFK, to the love. Rest in peace, Michael Jackson, but he's still alive too. Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, woo! Ah. <laughs> <sighs> There's not enough time in the day to be able to go down all the rabbit holes of conspiracy theories is what I'm trying to say. Because, look, I want to get good at comedy. 
You have to write comedy if you want to get good at comedy. You have to go and perform comedy if you want to get good at comedy. I want to get good at day trading. You have to practice at day trading if you want to get good at that. You have to read about it. You have to learn about it. You have to rewatch it. Then it's 5 p.m. It's dinner time. Then you got to go spend an hour with your kid before he goes to bed. Then you got to spend an hour with your wife before she goes to bed. Then you got 25 minutes to do your meditation before you go to bed. Then you wake up, repeat. How do I learn about all these conspiracies and actually progress my life to a point where I'm happy that it's become? That didn't make sense, but you knew I was on the rant. How do you manage time? There's so many different ways to manage time as well, but you could honestly, you could commit. I heard Alex Jones talk about this. He was on Joe Rogan a while ago, and he was like, uh, he's like, Joe Rogan, I'm going to die by the time I'm 51 years old. I'm so stressed, Joe. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. My heart beats. Sometimes I notice my heart hasn't beat for a minute and a half. I think, oh, no, I've got, I, I, I live on liquor. I live on alcohol. Joe, my heart just stopped again. And then you go, well, that doesn't sound like a healthy thing. This guy's committing all his time, all his effort, all his energy to studying conspiracy theories. But some, like most of them turn out to be true, I'm pretty sure. But but then the thing is, it's like, all right, well, do I commit all my time to conspiracy theories and learning about them only to find out that what I'm so stressed might be true is true? And then my health gets to a point where, well, okay, it's 9 p.m. I've got to go to bed. How on earth am I am I gonna invest in my my health and fitness? Like there's there's just no more time in the day. It doesn't matter how efficient you are with your time. If you overcommit, you overcommit. Like if you're spending 24 hours a day studying the stock market, then that leaves zero hours a day to be able to look into conspiracy theories. Or if you're doing 23 hours a day of conspiracy theories, that leaves one hour a day for family or sleep or food or exercise. Like something has to give. So people always say, Toss, you need to expand your mind a little bit, man. Like, yeah, all these conspiracy theories, they sound ridiculous to you, but it's only because you haven't looked into it. I haven't looked into it because, like, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to take care of my family, trying to take care of my fitness, trying to take care of my diet. Like, there's just, like, you tell me, where do I put the extra time in my day? I don't know. I'm open, I'm honestly open to finding out, but I just, right now, it's hard to know. And then someone messages me, said, hey, hey, Toss, I just noticed you hadn't responded to my email. I was like, oh, <laughs> What what am I supposed to do? I'm trying to cook quinoa salad. I'm trying to cook quinoa. I've got 45 minutes left to do my own thing. I'm trying to cook quinoa. When, how am I going to respond to your message? Mm, I don't know. And then you got to try and look into things like GoFundMe. Did you see GoFundMe had $10 million raised for, um, for the Canadian trackers? And then they'll like, uh, all right, it's time to hand it over. And GoFundMe's like, nah, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> no, 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 but $10, $10 million was raised, like 147,000 people raised $10 million to give to the truckers. Now you have to do it. And they go, oh, but what if I give it to a charity? Can, wait, what? Is this a legitimate conversation? Like 147,000 people have just donated their hard-earned money. You've got 10 million bucks in your account. You have to give it to them. They go, nah, because we don't, I don't want to give it to them. <laughs> we don't want to give it to them. And then you, then you turn on mainstream news and, and they're trying to tell you that the truckers are the problem. The truckers are the ones who are causing all the, uh, the controversy. You're like, but these guys have stole $10 million. And now I'm frustrated. And then um, 
and you're considered the crazy one if you question it. I'm not. You can't use GoFundMe again after that, can you? Like because if you're giving money to a cause that you're not convinced they're going to give to the cause of which you're giving that money to the cause for, like how do you confidently donate money? Because next time I say, hey, this is to this money is to be raised for kids with cancer. What if they realise in the next couple of years kids with cancer aren't a real priority? That you can't just not give them. Like, isn't that illegal? Isn't it illegal to raise ten million dollars on a thing called GoFundMe? The whole premise of your platform is to raise money for causes that the public believe in. You can't just come out last minute and go, mm, sorry about the confusion, but we don't give money to that cause. In fact, that's one of the causes we definitely don't give money to. You can see why platforms like um, Facebook go through their, their little crashes. Did you see? I think we're down 28% at Facebook this week. And it, like... This sounds horrible. I'm not the kind. I don't. I don't want to wish. I don't want to wish bad upon anyone. But when you when you realise the shenanigans, when you realise the kind of stuff that Facebook get up to when it comes to your private data, I advertise on Facebook. So just as full context, I'm a complete hypocrite with this because I, I I think I'm part of the problem. I think I give money to them to mine your data to advertise my products to, so that you buy what it is that I'm trying to sell. So yeah, maybe I shouldn't wish this too hard because in fact I've just realised that the company that I'm. Uh, sort of celebrating the demise of is a company that's helped me significantly. And so this is where the lines get blurry, isn't it? Because the lines get blurry because I go, okay, well, they're a dodgy company that deserve what they've had coming to them. And then you go, yeah, but Tice, didn't you tell me you Facebook advertise? I go, yeah, but I don't really know how that contributes to it. And you go, well, because, mate, you're, you're paying the company to do the thing that you don't like that they're doing. And I'll say, no, wait, what are you trying to talk about? Don't try and mince my words. Okay. And you go, no, I'm not mincing your words. I'm just saying that the money that these guys get from you that makes them so big helps them further mine my data so that your advertisements can be more specifically placed. And I go, oh, sorry. I didn't know that. But but $230 billion, I think, is the number that... um. That Facebook has lost this week, and I thought, oh, surely they're just going to bounce back up. And I, I was reading about this the other day because uh, because Facebook, they, 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 I think the first time in eighteen years they've reported. Let me just find out. I'm going to Google search this Facebook. Let's let's find out together. Come over here. Facebook price. Facebook news. Let's just go Facebook news. So Facebook market cap falls below six hundred billion. Facebook falls behind NVIDIA market cap. All right. Married at first sight, Andrew Davis listed on Facebook Marketplace as a vintage American tool. Okay, I haven't been watching Married at first sight as much as uh, my wife, but I like that guy. What's going on there? Facebook falls behind NVIDIA. I'm not sure what the deal with that comparison is. Let's just find, find out what's going on here. So Facebook falls behind NVIDIA. What is that in market cap? and is now eighth most valuable US company. Facebook parent Meta has tumbled 35% since the start. 35%, so it was down 26% when I saw it the other day, since the start of 2022, with most of that drop occurring uh, after last week's disappointing earnings report. The company is now worth less than 600 billion, which is still insane. Um, and has fallen behind NVIDIA in terms of market cap. Facebook parent Meta continues its slide on Tuesday and has now dropped as much as the past week, uh, now dropped so much in the past week that the company is worth less than chip maker. Oh, okay, NVIDIA. Uh, Meta shares dropped 2.1%, close at 220.18. The stock is down 35% this year and is trading at its lowest price 
since July 2020. Not long ago, Facebook was among five most valuable U.S. companies alongside big tech peers, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet. However, Meta has fallen eighth below Tesla, Berkshire Hathaway, and now for the first time, NVIDIA. On Tuesday, Meta's market cap dropped to $599 billion while NVIDIA... What is NVIDIA? Is that like an affiliate company? Why do they keep mentioning that? Closed at $627 billion. Uh, Visa is next at $478 billion. So we're still dealing with some pretty big numbers. And it's hard to imagine a company like Facebook isn't just going to bounce back fairly quickly because, um, I mean, I know they've, they've, they've been up to some shenanigans the last couple of years. And I, I think they're, I guess the public trust of this company has dropped significantly. Well, that's what the share market is, isn't it? Like a pretty much a public's take on what they think a stock is actually worth. And at the moment, they've pretty much told it to get stuff. But Anyway, I felt as though the other day when I saw that it dropped 26%, I was like, if I was a good trader, I'd get in here right now and I'd buy that because this is just clearly a dip and then it's going to bounce back any moment and I'm going to make heaps of money. And then the next day it fell like another 5%. I was like, that's why I'm not a good trader. This is why I'm playing with very tiny accounts because I would have just lost my whole account had I invested in that particular stock. But anyway, Facebook sounds as though they've had their troubles. Do you guys still trust them? I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure. Surely big tech has to change a little bit, especially when you see how much they censor information. I don't know exactly how I feel. Anyway. Anyway, who cares what I think? That's the truth. Who cares what I think about Facebook? Because they're still worth $599 billion. And this morning, I lost $4 on the stock market, and that was a uh, stressful day. (laughs) So clearly, I'm not the right bloke to be taking advice from. You know who you should take advice from? Andy Anderson. He's a bloke that me and my boy... Charlie have been watching on the computer this week. Andy Anderson's like a 25-year-old LA skater. Man, if you want to if if you've got nothing to do this afternoon for an hour, jump on your computer, put in the name Andy Anderson and just watch what this kid can do on a skateboard. It is mind-blowing. He goes past buskers like these guys playing a little bit of music and then he'll he'll just start busting out some weird dance on a skateboard and it's so insane. And then you see him on a bowl with a skateboard which is too big, a helmet which doesn't fit, doing tricks which no human should be able to do and you go, "Okay, hang on a second. This guy this guy is who we should be investing in. Not Facebook. Don't worry about old Zucker. Let's invest in Andy Anderson because he's a, he lives in a gutted ambulance. That's not why you should invest in the bloke. I mean, he's doing that not because he's financially struggling. I'm pretty sure the skate brands have looked after him. I imagine so. Based on what he's doing, some of the brands that he's affiliated with, he, uh, he seems as though he's doing okay. But that's it, Andy Anderson. I'm going down to Melbourne tonight for the first time since last week to, to hopefully hopefully redeemed for an atrocious bomb that took place in the uh you know in the funny near the bunny i get in this real bad habit as well when i'm bombing to point it out like i point it out if you point it out once it's sort of funny but if you point it out seven times everyone just starts to feel sorry for you and it's not as fun it just really zaps the uh the vibe of the room people start to go oh why is he like it was funny that you pointed it out once but why have you pointed it out seven times that you recognize that you're bombing because now it's it's just getting quite awkward. So I'm going down to a uh, going down to a little bar. I don't even know that it's dedicated solely to, to comedy. I think it's for like comedians and also um, musicians. So it's got disaster written all over it. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a, a place where heroes are made, but that is where heroes are made. It's exactly where heroes are made. I'm going down to make myself a hero, hopefully, or just you know, go on a two-hour bomb, uh, a two-hour drive to bomb to return on a two-hour drive home to think about how much that wasn't worth it. And we'll, uh, we'll try again tomorrow. Two gigs lined up for the next two days, maybe even three. Um, 
I've got a couple of little dates coming up that I, I might put out in the uh, on the socials in case you want to come and check it out. Because comedy, uh, comedy's thick in the air of Melbourne at the moment. Well, getting there because Melbourne Comedy Festival is coming up in a couple of months. So you know the comedy vibe in this state starts to pick up. But anyway, uh, that's enough from me. I've been talking to you for an hour. I've got to go get myself organised. Go down to this little comedy room, tell some funny jokes. Uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll uh, I'll see you all here next week. Mm-hmm.